When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This week, we have updates on Ravens signings, draft news, some NFL news, and a special guest, James Ogden from Russell Street Report, joins us to talk about the NFL draft, which prospects the Ravens should and will go after, and we take a peek at his comprehensive Ravens draft guide. All of that this week on Pod Like a Raven. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Valera. I'm very excited to be back with you after two weeks. We have much to go over. As more players are signing in Baltimore and across the league, the NFL Draft rumor mill is in full fervor. We're now in, will the Ravens trade all five fourth-round draft picks for a top offensive coordinator territory? So with that, we have much to discuss and we brought in a Ravens draft expert to break things down with us, at least for the first portion of this episode. We'll see how long we can get him to uh, to hang around. But first, I'll introduce my two co-hosts, starting on the East Coast with Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going, man? Uh, it's good, man. It's good. We are so close to ending the speculation of who are they going to take, how many times is Acosta going to trade down, how many of these fourth-round picks is he actually going to use, what have you truth rumor you know speculation i'm ready for it to be here Uh, unfortunately i definitely got a little bit of a scheduling conflict i thought it was this weekend for this thursday excuse me for a brief bit and now i'm a little bit more depressed than i would have been before but uh yeah overall doing well we're about 10 days away i cannot wait to sit on my couch and just watch the nfl draft yeah we'll see how early in this episode we uh start bumming james out with uh, how sure we are that that Pick 14 is not going to be a pick in the top 15 or 20. Uh, on the West Coast, La La Land, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, Antonio. Um, you know, can't complain. I'm very excited. NFL draft season, it's almost here. I'm more excited for this draft than I feel like I've been in several years. It's a very important draft. I think that's part of it uh, and pivotal. And so, yeah, I'm, I am brimming with anticipation as we get closer and closer to it because I, I think this is a really important, uh, important moment for the franchise. And it's exciting, too. You know, as we said, they're trading down. But for now, they still have a pick in the top 15. And that's exciting. They haven't had one of those in quite some time. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it feels so close uh, yet so far, as Tim kind of <laughs> mentioned. All right. So without further ado we're going to get right into the nfl draft this week and what the ravens specifically need to do this year and with that i'll introduce our special guest james ogden is a writer at russell street report a podcaster for uk ravens 
and runs the Red Star Baltimore blog. And he is a Ravens draft savant, seemingly, after looking over his uh, very comprehensive Ravens draft guide. James, thank you very much for joining us from Nottingham, England. We have yet another time zone joining us on the pod this week. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Antonio. It's great to be here. Uh, I, I I like the reference about trading back because usually us UK Ravens fans, you know, we had a purple patch for a few years, didn't we, where we were sort of 27 to 30 and you'd wait here till about 5 a.m. for the pick and then they trade out of the first round entirely. You know, that, that was great. I really enjoyed those days. So, we, yeah, we think we had it bad when it's like, 10 o'clock, maybe, uh, and we're already complaining about it. No, that's, yeah, 5 a.m. is Yeah, Antonio, I feel so bad now because we always talk about how we love the 1 o'clock kickoff. That makes way more sense for the U.K. Ravens group. We're, like, you know, not dealing with five Sunday night football games or what have you over the year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it can get, it can get really bad. Hopefully they uh, call, your, call your senator about getting the um, daylight savings bill through. That will really help <laughs> us over here. Yeah, the, one of the more productive things that we could possibly do is remove – yeah, daylight savings. But all right, let's get into this. First of all, I want to hear from you, sort of your experience covering the Ravens. You do you seemingly sprinkled uh, your your time and your work at different places. So I'm curious to hear uh, your start with your love for the Ravens, and then your your work experience and different things that you've done uh, to get to this point to get this draft guide written. Yeah, so I, so my love for the Ravens started back back in. I sort of tell this story sporadically across different podcasts and things, but it started back in um, the, the, at the start of the, of the 2000 Super Bowl season, actually. And I was a, you know, I played rugby over here. I played soccer over here, but I kind of, I also played basketball and I, I loved basketball. And, and there were a couple of American sports, basketball and hockey were experienced a bit of a boom over in the UK at that point. And you could go and see, you know, sold out arenas of, you know, European basketball teams. I actually, the, the, the team I used to go and support a lot were the Manchester Giants because I grew up in Manchester and they were actually at the time being coached by Nick Nurse, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is very strange. Um, so I always, always found it weird when he popped up to, to win an NBA title. Anyway, um, I thought I'd love these sports. Why don't I try the sport with American in the title? Uh, <laughs> and so tried, tried American football. I, I sort of watched a preview of the, of the NFL before that season. And I was a defensive player in every sport I ever played. And in that preview, it said the Ravens had the best defense in the league. And so I followed the Ravens throughout that season. And obviously, they, they won the Super Bowl. So... That was a good enough reason to stick with them, uh, <laughs> stick with them through till now. I played when I got to, to uni over here, um, university college over here, um, n- not to a very high standard at all, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm sure we'd have been beaten by many a high school team in the states, uh, but it was good fun. And I love. I fell in love with the sport even more by playing it, um, and also fell in love with the kind of cerebral side and the the player evaluation side. And from that point on, I started evaluating players. And so I did, I've been doing it for about 10, 15 years now, writing my own draft guides. I finally got to the point where <laughs> I'm willing to publish one. I've been trained at the Scouting Academy now in a few different places. So I, I feel like I have the kind of expertise to be able to, to, to make a, a draft guide that's, that's a valuable resource for Ravens fans. And I understand, I feel like I understand the team, I understand the franchise. I've done a lot of work on the history of... Um, Ravens draft history, although Eric DaCosta does seem to be blowing that up a little bit, so maybe some <laughs> of that needs to change. A man after my own heart. Loves defense, and that's why he loves the Ravens. I mean, this is, yeah. Oh, just, just, 
makes me feel so happy. James, yeah, let's get into it because I know we don't want to take up too much of your time seeing it, it's late over there. Um, 120 page draft guide specifically for the Ravens. It's something that we talk about when we started this podcast of, you know, they're not a national team by any stretch of the imagination. Lamar Jackson has certainly changed that narrative, although now the only story is about him not signing a contract because people can't find what else to talk about. But that's, you know, a whole different conversation for a different day. You and Cole Jackson, who is another guy, um, who another very good at scouting these players from the Ravens Twitter hashtag uh, group. First of all, and we're, I can't compliment you enough. The, the draft guide is incredible. We'll tweet out uh, the link at Pod Like a Raven so you can listen to it, or at NFL Ogden is where James's stuff is. I'm sure it's pinned up there as well, and you can have a read of just more than I could take in, certainly. Even before, even with ten days, uh, you know, as as we record this, what went into this process? Why did you decide to do it to start? And what were some of the, you know, obviously it's going to be challenging to to, you know, scout this many players. But what were some of the unexpected challenges you found in doing this as well? Yeah, so I, I, like I said, I've been doing these report well reports on players for for ten fifteen years coming into the draft, and I usually get up to sort of. 200 250 normally um this year was a bit different and i'll, I'll explain why I, I so a year ago um my good friend michael crawford um abukari on twitter um encouraged me to he was the first one who saw my writing and sort of published pushed me out there a little bit he encouraged me to do the scouting academy which i did um which is a great program a great course if if anybody is is wanting to learn more about football or specifically more about player evaluation and that course sort of one of the the first things that stood out to me while doing that was that you cannot adequately evaluate a player for the league for the nfl without understanding which scheme he's going to go to without understanding which team he's going to go to it's just you're trying to evaluate him with one hand behind your back you just can't do it it's it's really difficult thing to do and some of the media you know the media analysts out there the big national guys do a great job of it but it's very difficult to generically assess how a player is going to fit 32 teams each team the reason the draft is great and the reason uh, not everybody knows where everybody's going to go is because every team has a different board and that's not because every team sees players differently it's because every team sees players differently for their scheme and so I think one of the things you don't see a ton of there are a few out there are draft guides that are specifically focused on on specific teams and so I kind of wanted to to do this to to take all of the knowledge that I've gained over the years and everything and put it into a guide that is specifically about the Ravens and I have built a bit of a methodology to be able to do that. It's a very, it's a very beginnings of a methodology. It's a work in progress. I'm, I'm going to have to do a lot. I, I finally did the rankings, and some of the rankings are a little bit punchy because of the, the process I went through. Um, so that'll probably be tweaked a little bit next year to try and try and make sure I don't have Jamison Williams ranked about 67th. Um, <laughs> but I think um, we'll, we'll we'll fix that next year. Um, but I think. It just it just made sense to me that there are, there is such a a hunger for draft for draft content out there, um, and there's so little of it focused on individual teams uh, that I thought it was I was kind of filling a bit of a filling a bit of a gap. And also, I love player evaluation, so you do get a full kind of player report in there as well. Um, the difficulties really were <laughs> the the uh, amount of time it now takes me to evaluate a player. Uh, I just get lost in, you know, I, 
I tweeted out just before the guide came out that I, I don't think I actually tweeted out. I think it was in a message group somewhere. But I said that I, I spent uh, like two hours till about 1 a.m. watching my fifth and sixth games of Jelani Woods to check <laughs> if his um, catching deficiency was that he couldn't catch the ball below his waist. Um, like Just to check that that was right. That I was You're right a committed man. Saying, You're a committed saying. man. <laughs> That's probably the main challenge. So, yeah, like time-wise, when do you even start putting together something like this? Like, what is? Are, is this something that's going on basically since the moment like last NFL draft ends, or, or like I guess how much t- like time can you even ballpark how many like hours you spent kind of putting this together? Yeah, I don't know if I could ballpark the hours, Chase. <laughs> I think um, definitely starts not immediately after the draft, but but a couple of months after the draft um, when I start watching watching guys. I think I've I think I've done final reports on my Jay Sanders about three times now. So I do kind of um, like start before the season. I, I generally watch the college season just as a fan. I'm, I don't actually follow a college because obviously I didn't go to a college over in the States. So, um, so I kind of just sort of follow, just follow it as a fan. Uh, I also write the um, game previews for Russell street report, the big long um, battle plan game previews. So, I don't have that much time during the season, so it kind of starts, the process of this starts towards the end of the season. I definitely started late doing this. Um, like, it, I started too late, I think, this time around. So next t- next time I will be starting a little bit earlier, probably sort of November time, when I can start to, to get into some of them, uh, some of those players, players a bit earlier than I, than I did this time because it was a bit of a crush towards the end. James, you mentioned this guide being specific to the Ravens and that being you thought a a need I'm curious as to and you've already already kind of hinted at the challenges but I'm still going to push you on it a little bit and I'm curious as to what you look for in terms of this is the definition of Ravens fit for either side of the ball or how you stick to the lens when evaluating these players for the Ravens compared to a, this guy is a top 10 talent for, for example. Yeah. So there's a, there's a three, it's a three pronged evaluation. I do. It's a um, generic factors. Uh, so, so looking at things like athletic ability, uh, mental processing, um, competitive toughness, things that, things that are, that are um, common in every position. Then there's a posi- then there's positional factors that I analyze. So range for a safety, um, maybe it's footwork for a running back. You know, several different factors. Usually five in each, five for each position group, uh, and then then Ravens factors. That's my the third sort of prong of the analysis. Um, and for the Ravens fit, I I spent a bit of time. Like I said, I spent a, a long time looking at the Ravens kind of history and their draft needs. So I, I can bring in specific things for specific positions. But I think it's mainly a, you know, it's five things that I rate across each of the each of the each of the prospects. One is athleticism. They have proven now over the course of a number of drafts, uh, and especially under Eric DaCosta, that athleticism is important to them. Um, I think under Eric DaCosta, it's proven that explosive ability, that explosive athleticism, is actually more important to them now. So you know, when you break down athletic ability, it's speed, acceleration, it's lateral explosion, it's vertical explosion, uh, and I, I do think those are things that are important to the Ravens now. Intelligence, uh, which is a, which is kind of a repeat of processing, but it you know it, I think it bears re- bears repeating. The, the Ravens really care about getting intelligent football players. 
Uh, versatility is a huge deal for the Ravens across either the offensive line or the defensive backfield. You can see they consistently target players who have proven that they can be versatile um, by doing that at the college level. Uh, grit, which is something that Eric DaCosta has specifically referenced a couple of times, which is a kind of like a competitive toughness angle, but I think it's a bit more than that. It's You kind of know it when you see it. Like, I think the way Andrew Booth plays with reckless abandon in, in his run defense, it, it, it sort of epitomizes the grit that the Ravens are looking for. Um, grit is, is uh, how well is that player going to get along with John Harbaugh? And how, how quickly <laughs> will he end up in the doghouse with John Harbaugh? Yeah, yeah that's the John Harbaugh factor there, <laughs> uh, definitely. And I think, and then the other really important one is scheme. Uh, so for offensive linemen, how is he going to fit as a gap blocker? For a cornerback, how is he going to fit in man coverage? You, know, you, you, you need to be checking out specifically about schemes. So that's important. There's one specific factor that I think the Ravens care about that I don't have the time to be able to do, which I'd love to be able to do, but it just takes too long. Um, because you can see it on film, is growth. They've proven over the last few years that they like players who have grown over their career in college um, and that there is still growth. There is still room to, to grow with that player. Um, Adafi Owe was a great example of it, a guy who even over just 13 or 14 games, I think he played, you could see the growth on film of him. And so, but you have to watch like one game from every, at least one game from every year, and preferably probably every game from the final year. It's just too much to watch. I will go back and watch the Ravens picks once they've picked uh, and, and try and find that, but it's just not something I, I feel comfortable rating because I just don't have the time. It, it's so important, and, and your answer from a couple, uh, a couple questions ago where, you know, we love these big boards. You know, we will we'll sit here and read mock drafts till the cows come home, but scheme fit is just in, so incredibly important and I'm sure there's so many cases where a guy just didn't land in the right spot and that's why you know maybe he would have a different career with whoever it is compared to where he got drafted to now let's let's get into some of these players here and, and we'll do some of the sneaky guys we like and you know the, all the fourth round picks who are some guys that would be instant starters and how important is it we were talking uh, off air here before how important is it to nail some of those mid-round picks because DaCosta's history so far admittedly hasn't been great in terms of getting guys uh, getting value with these quote lottery tickets that he likes to call them. But let's start at the top. Two guys that we've talked about here, and you you know this way better than we do. Um, you know, Jace watches a ton of college ball, especially for work. I kind of just pretend I know what Jace knows because Jace told me things, and then I just mimic it there. Uh, but two guys on the offensive defensive line. If you listen to this podcast, you know that's the only thing I really like talking about anyway. It's Jordan Davis and Tyler Linderbaum. And they're two they seem like two guys that are you know, Davis has the the, the combine workout and he his you know there's always a guy every year shoots up the draft boards because he has an insane combine workout. Linderbaum on the other hand and I know Cole Jackson, who worked on the uh, report with you, I know uh, just based on following on with Twitter, I don't know him personally, doesn't seem to like him very much uh, in terms of a Ravens fit anyway, that would be. Can you just give us uh, a breakdown of both of those players? And do you think, because people in the national media are on either side, you know, some people think Davis is is maybe not top 10, but definitely in that 11 to 15 range. Some people think that because he's not an every down player, that's going to affect him. Linderbaum, the same with his size and scheme fit and what have you. For the Ravens at 14, we're not going to do the trading down, you know, jokes or whatever it is. And it's not a joke. It's very real. It's definitely going to happen. If both of those guys are there at 14, do you see the Ravens taking a stab at either one of them? Why or why not? 
So I would see them taking a stab at Jordan Davis. I don't see them taking a stab at Tyler Linderbaum at 14, and I'll, I'll explain why. I think, um, so for me, J- Jordan Davis, I, Jordan Davis is one of my favorite players to talk about in the entire draft, I think. I, I, so he he's a really, he's just, uh, before pre-combine, I, I did a podcast where I said, Jordan, like we were supposed to be talking about who would blow up the combine, and Jordan Davis was the first guy out of my mouth. So it was not a surprise to me what he put on film at the combine. It's scary the the speed and athleticism that, that 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 man has at the size that he has, and the thing you have to remember, which is one of the things the scouting academy teaches you, is you're in the projection business if you're trying to do this. You you cannot just simply take what a guy has put on tape on, in college and say this is what he's going to be in the league. You have to project that guy, and scheme fit is part of it. But it's also partly looking at a guy and be trying to be creative and saying who who is this guy going to be in the league, especially if you are thinking of a specific team in mind so Jordan Davis you know is he's explosive with his speed he's explosive with his strength he I think so the the conversation with Davis really comes down to the snap count it's how many snaps are you going to get him on the field um as to whether he's worth the 14th overall pick if it's going to be 20 and he's 20 snaps a game because he's at because he's actually playing at 370 or 360 then yeah it's probably not worth the 14th overall pick if you watch the guy throughout the year, you see a different player towards the end of the season. And I think it's because he's dropped some weight, he's got serious about it, and you see him play a lot more snaps. You see him play almost as many snaps as Devontae Wyatt. They almost start to come on and off the field together towards the end of the year. So if you get a guy like that that can play 40 snaps a game, this is an entirely different conversation because he isn't a two-down run stuffer. This is the thing that really annoys me about uh, people evaluating Jordan Davis. He's not a two-down run stuffer. The guy will come off the field as every defensive lineman does, but you can bring him off the field whenever you want. You can keep him on the field on third and long, and he's going to give you some pass rush. There there are the beginnings there of, of... good hand usage in terms of his in terms of his pass rush he has he has a bull rush which is very hard to handle obviously and um, he's got a two-hand shook he's got a cross chop there there are some moves there that are starting to to be used that could be really dangerous the thing for me is you cannot block him with one guy if you bring one guy it is over the play whatever you are trying to do it's over um the thing that's really interesting with John Davis is the actual fits at the moment doesn't quite work. So he's a one-gap player at the moment. He isn't a two-gapper. And if you bring two guys, you can put him on skates and take him out of the play. So he doesn't yet know how to occupy double teams. That's not a problem. His size, his ability, he will be able to do it. It'll just take him a while. So I'm not saying he's not a scheme fit, um, which would be ridiculous. I think you are kind of projecting more 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 pass rush and you know it is a snap count discussion like I said I think that's the the main thing with Davis so I would take him I think at 14 depending on who's available done we're done interview done we're taking him at 14 I'm in I'm in I'm all the way in I think (laughs) I think it's I think it's definitely it's it's certainly a possibility and I you know I would it, it really does depend on who else is there because there is a chance that there are 14 other players and I think there are probably just 14 other players in this draft I would take above him on talent alone. Only just, though. He's about there. He's about 14, 15 on my list, I think. Tyler Linderbaum's a different discussion entirely. I, I, I think Tyler Linderbaum is not a great scheme fit with the Ravens. 
um, he's going to be a very good center. And there comes a point where it is too good to pass up. The Ravens, uh, you know, it, it comes a point. But I don't think that's a 14. He is a great zone center. He is one of the best I've seen in space, interior linemen I've seen in space in, in a long time. Uh, and that's going to be where he lives at the next level. The Ravens could do more of that, but I just think you're if you're taking him and hoping for the Ravens to do more of that, you're asking for trouble. Greg Roman is is gap, he's a gap heavy guy. It is not going to change, and so I, I like him, but I, I don't think he's the pick at fourteen. So one guy I believe you mentioned him already. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask about and kind of spin it into just a sort of a broader discussion again of what the Ravens might do at this pick is I believe one of your five-star fits, I believe you called your red star guys, and is Andrew Booth. Um, and you have him at number four on your like overall list here. Um, do you think there's a chance? I've seen him. He's a guy I feel like throughout this whole mock draft season, I've seen consistently climbing higher and higher in everyone's mock draft, similar to Trayvon Walker's another guy like that, who I think would be a decent fit with the Ravens. And uh, you were pretty high on too, I think, fit-wise. Um, yeah. But what, do you think a player like Booth will uh, be around? And if so, will like the Ravens make like a move on him or like another one? Uh, not a five-star, but obviously your number three overall, Kayvon Thibodeau. Do you think these guys will fall? Or even do you think there's any chance this is actually the year with all the picks they have, they have the Ravens might trade up for one of those guys? Yeah, so Booth is one of my punchy rankings. Uh, so I did Booth really early in, in the process. And for me, he, talent alone, that's where he, that's where he is for me. And I, I, I will, I'll argue with anyone until the, the cows come home about that. He really is. Um, I think he's, you know, he's consistently in phase with the receiver. He, he has outstanding athletic ability and, and processing. I think he reads route progressions and, and wide receivers really well. I, I think he has extremely good, you know, he's very smooth in his footwork. He has really good ball skills and he has such a quick trigger against the run. He is so aggressive. Like I said, he plays with this reckless abandon where he just throws his body at, at ball carriers. Um, he looks like a Raven. Like I defy anyone who knows the Ravens to watch his film and think this guy doesn't look like a Raven. He really does. Um, and he's one of the easiest red stars I've ever given. Like I do this every year where I give red stars and it was just, it was just like, I, I watched one tape of this guy and it's like, wow, this, he's a Raven. Um, obviously watched more than one eventually. <laughs> um, I think, um, so he can his leverage can be attacked a little bit in press. There are like, there are some things to work on. Um, I, I'd like to see him improve the timing of the way he breaks up passes on, on short passes to the sideline. But these are, you can notice I'm giving you like caveats about like weaknesses in very specific circumstances, um, that you can, that you should be able to, to fix. Um, <laughs> When you read between the lines, so one of the other things you need to do when you're evaluating players is context, 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 what about this player? And when you when you read about Andrew Booth and you read coaches' comments, this is all speculation. Like, I, I have no idea. I love the kid on film. When you read between the lines of what the coaches were saying about him, so he he very he barely played until his final year. And when you read between the lines, I think some coaches were suggesting that he could have been on the field more than he was. Um, now, that's not going to go over well with, with the Ravens, if that is the case. It certainly could land you in John Harbaugh's doghouse, as we've <laughs> already talked about. Um, he has been injury. He's been injured throughout the pre-draft 
process as well. I wonder whether that is what's dropping him down boards. The, these these national media guys, they're they're plugged in. They know they know what teams are doing, and so they're not going to look stupid by ranking somebody that high when they hear that a team isn't actually that high on those guys when there's other reasons for it. And I feel with Booth, that is that is the main challenge. And I wonder whether that's going to play into his draft position, which is why he probably will be there at 14, but he's, that's also why the Ravens may pass on him at 14, um, ultimately. You asked about somebody else as well, Jace. Well, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is another Thibodeau. kind of one who obviously there's been a lot of talk about. I believe we talked about on this show, there was some chatter of him falling, if the Ravens might be able to make a move on him, how he'd fit with the Ravens, that kind of thing, if it somehow he falls within kind of striking distance for them. Yeah, well, Thibodeau, Thibodeau is one who, um, so Cole, uh, as you mentioned before, who's, who's a really good friend of mine, Cole, did uh, a number of the trenches reports. And so T- Thibodeau is one of Cole's guys, actually, um, in terms of actually doing the evaluation on them. But obviously, I've kind of kind of watched a few of those guys as well, just to make sure that I, I can talk about them. Uh, Thibodeau's just an explosive pass rusher. I, I just... You know, the the consistency thing that I hear, I just didn't see on the film that I watched. Like, I, yes, there are times when he doesn't impact the game as much as you would like, given given the explosive side of him. But I put that down more to sort of technique and, and to kind of a bit more refinement, basically, as a pass rusher. Um, I, I think he's I think he's a great player. I think he's easily a top five player in this class. If he gets to 14, it's crazy. I, I <laughs> Some some NFL decision makers have made just I think have just made a terrible mistake if that's the case, and I, I would imagine the Ravens will run the card up for him if that's the if that's what happens. You can, you see it happen. You've seen it happen so many times in Ravens history, uh, and it would be very for different reasons clearly because Suggs fell because of his perceived um, athletic limitations, um, which was a nonsense. But it's a bit of a bit of a, a parallel to, to sizzle who you know really shouldn't have been there where the ravens were picking and and Thibodeau would be a similar situation i just can't see him getting out of the top five i really don't yeah i'm with you i think i think there's a lot where there's smoke there's fire with some of that stuff too um and it's funny because you know and i want to talk about a, a bit later and, and uh, God, I have so many questions we could be here all night but i know we don't want to do that uh I, th- some sneaky needs for the ravens because the same ones have come up over and over again but i do want to talk about one of the obvious ones and it would be a, a need that thibodeau fills and that's edge rusher or edge presence or edge guy whatever you want to say and from everything that i've read and albeit not nearly as much as you and the likes of cole have done it seems like this is a pretty deep edge class uh, based on if, if you don't get a Jermaine Johnson, if you don't get a Thibodeau, obviously Aiden Hutchinson is probably going one two. Trayvon Walker now, who knows? Now half, half the mock drafts have been at one when he was middle of the first <laughs> round before, so who knows what's going on there. Can you identify a couple guys that – I'm not, not even like you know fourth round steals, but maybe even second, third round guys who – the Ravens go, you know, take the card up in the second or third round, maybe even one of these fourth round picks they have. They pick this edge guy and you're losing your mind because it's like, I can't believe that the Ravens got that guy. He's going to be an impact player. They got a steal there. Yeah. So I think the, the, the first guy to mention, and, and so he's, he's an interesting conversation because it's, it would be a red shirt is David Ajabo who appears to be falling in kind of projections into the second, third round. Um, I, I've seen a few people sort of around 
like up and down on this, but I would take him at 45 quite happily. Like the, I, I feel the guy is a kind of top 10, 15 talent. Um, I didn't see the same chat. Like obviously there are some issues with his, with his run defense, but I didn't see the same kind of, you know, there's some people who seem to think he's just a very, like he's a, a like a liability as a run defender. I just don't, I don't see that at all. Um, I think his pass rush is, is scared. Like, it's scary how refined his pass rush is, given that he's actually played less snaps than Dafe Owe played. Uh, and this guy has a fully-fledged plan with several moves that can he can beat you in several different ways. So, for me, and, and obviously the speed and explosion is, is there too. So, he's not quite always standard in terms of speed and explosion, but I think he ran a 4.55. And I think his, I think his 10-yard split was in the top is was in the hundredth percentile of edge defenders so the guy's ridiculously athletic obviously the achilles could be a problem for him long term but if he's there at 45 there's absolutely no way you can be passing on that um i I don't think so anyway i think the ravens are in a position where they can get a starter at 14 where they can get a really good contributor at 14 and then at 45 there are some there are going to be some great players available but if ajabo is one of them i think you can live with waiting a year for that for that production especially as the Lamar contract's probably going to get signed now a year out from now and then yeah. the cap number there will be reduced down and so maybe actually it's next year that you're kind of all in year and you'll have a Jarbo alongside your first round pick next year too so that makes a lot of sense to me I think there are some other guys I really like I love I love Ebiketti but he's sort of rising into the first round so I'm, I'd be surprised if he's there in the second and third if we're looking a little bit further down I do like Alex Wright a lot um, out of UAB he's a really intriguing guy extremely long um, and probably could be an inside outside type um, edge guy so that in this in the same mold that they tried to you know it looks that feels like they're looking for that with the way that they went after Zadarius Smith mm-hmm. um, they always like length in the defensive line they're always look every like year or two years they take a really long guy to potentially play at the five technique so that you know guys like Zach Seiler and you know, they always take these long guys to try and play five technique. And, and Alex Wright is really raw in terms of how he uses his length. Like, he just doesn't know how to use his body yet. Um, but you can see that there's a lot there to maybe use. And especially with Calais coming back for another year, you've got a great guy to teach him there. So I really like Alex Wright. And I think the, the you know, there's a few others. The the main one for me, who is my one of my other Red Stars, is Josh Pascal from Kentucky. Um, who I just really like. I think he's, you know, he's an outstanding run defender day one. Um, he's going to blow stuff up on the edge constantly. You're not going to be able to run at him. Um, he plays with great play strength. He's 6'2", which I sometimes like in defensive linemen. He's got real natural leverage. Um, and I think he's got good play speed for the position as well. He also has some good moves, but he has no rush plan yet. I don't think he knows how to put it together um, in terms of his pass rush, which to me suggests there's a ceiling there. Like there's a bit of a ceiling that he hasn't yet reached. So I don't think you're just getting a great run defender who can't really do anything else. And that's all he's going to be. You know, there's some ceiling there. And I also think he was pretty athletic. I think if I remember rightly, his 10 yard is pretty ridiculous too. So he's pretty, he, and that shows up on film too. He's pretty explosive off the snap. So I like Josh Pascal. This edge class is so good. I could go on and on and on and on. Dominique Robinson is another guy I like. D'Angelo Malone is a great pass rusher, situational pass rusher you could pick up in the third, fourth round. You can get edge guys all over the board in this draft. So you have uh, 
you, you may have answered the question I'm about to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I, I want to ask this from the perspective of the fan watching it on the couch, uh, even in other rounds, whether it's 11 p.m. or 5 a.m. for you, James, but uh, just for the listener, I'm going to break down the picks for the Ravens quickly. They have a first-round pick at 14, a second-round pick at 45, two-thirds at 76 and 100, and then this famous fourth round where they have five picks. Um, and so my scenario for you is they've taken a linebacker at 14, they've taken a wide receiver at 45, so some O-linemen in the third round, and then there's some fan on his couch screaming, that he doesn't want to see Kevon Seymour starting for the Ravens at any point this season and freaking out that they haven't drafted anybody in the secondary yet. So my question is now positional depth uh, in, in this entire draft. And it doesn't have to be the secondary. My question is, what different position groups do you think uh, it'll be okay, basically, if the Ravens haven't drafted somebody early there's all the depth in those middle rounds, and they're still going to be able to find value there. It might be edge, as, as you've just sort of mentioned, but if it's uh, other position groups as well, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Yeah, so I think, um, so let's start on the offensive side of the ball. For me, uh, running back is really, de- is really deep this year. I, I, there are a number of running backs I really like. You could get, I feel like you're going to be able to get a Brian Robinson in the fourth round, who was Alabama's tying running back last season. I think I feel like I, I, personally my personal favorite who I wrote up for the report who probably shouldn't have been written up for the report given the like where I think he's going to end up going but I love him so much it's just Damian Pierce who's um who's the running back out of Florida who was criminally misused by Florida this year you when you if you watch I've watched I've watched a lot of Georgia's defense mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, inevitably um and if you watch Georgia's defense they shut down everybody they they play in terms of the in terms of running backs they did not shut down Damian Pierce and he only got eight carries against them, I think. But he took it for about, for about, I think it was 60 yards. And each carry, it was like, there were like three guys in the backfield every time. And it was just, I love Damian Pierce. I love his loss mitigation and the way he's creative with his with his footwork. So um, you get a guy like that in the fourth round. So the, the fourth, fifth round probably. So the running back, running back position is deep. So And I think the Ravens will take one um, because I think they don't want to be stuck going into a season again with a, with a non-draft pick. Um, in that position. Um, I think uh, center is very deep. I like a lot of the center. You know, the Ravens like to spend mid to late round draft capital on centers, and it feels like that's going to be the situation again this year. Some of them are a little kind of on the light side, and you would maybe say that's not quite right, but that's very different when you're drafting in the fourth and fifth round than drafting a Tyler Linderbaum in the first round. Um, so I kind of like Cam Jurgens um, out of Nebraska quite a lot. That's my that's my kind of guy in terms of later centers. Cole Strange is great as well out of Chattanooga, Tennessee Chattanooga, so I like him too. So that's a good 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 position, good depth in the, on that position this this year. Uh, corner definitely has depth throughout the draft. The only thing I'd say about the corner position is I'm not so sure about some of the fit of the kind of third fourth round corners that are around. Um, they I don't love the fit with the Ravens, but the Ravens often do take guys in that sort of realm that we we don't. You know, Brandon Stevens is a great example, the guy that we didn't really see coming, um, or at least I certainly didn't see coming. Um, so there's a few few interesting ones in there. So corners definitely got some depth to it. Um, I actually think linebackers got some depth, but I I do think the Ravens are looking out for a Mike, and I think there are an, only a number of guys only a handful of guys who could play Mike in the Ravens scheme 
um, in this draft, and I think most of them will be gone early. You actually teed me up perfectly uh, there for the question I had, because uh, my, my mind has drifted to the guys, uh, you know, at the top of the kind of available linebackers. And specifically, I think there's a debate more or less between Devin Lloyd and uh, Nicobe Dean. Um, as you mentioned, if you watch Georgia, it was impossible to not see Nicobe Dean. And I was very intrigued by uh, everything he brought all season. Um, but obviously, Devin Lloyd's great. He brings much bigger size. So, yeah, I was just kind of hoping... And I think that's kind of an underrated uh, Ravens need too, linebacker. And you look at all these great teams in the league you're, that have great middle linebackers like Darius Leonard and Fred Warner and stuff. And it's kind of become like an under, almost an underrated position, I feel like. Um, so, yeah, so I was just kind of wondering how you felt about the two guys at the top of the draft and uh, the pros and cons of sort of each. Yeah, so I think for me, that's a really, I think it's a, one of the really interesting discussions of this draft for, from a Ravens perspective, Jace. I think like the... So I, I, when at the start of every draft season, I like to look at some sort of um, analysts who I like and trust that aren't Ravens focused to kind of understand the needs to, to have a different perspective on the Ravens needs. And um, there's a great British guy called um, he's on Twitter. He's at Tom Kislingberry and he's um, just looks at defense every year. Just looks at does a guide about all the defenses in the league. And I always go to look at his, his opinion on the Ravens and one of his opinions on the Ravens, especially when you look at the personnel usage over the years is that I do think the Ravens really need a good Mike linebacker um, to, to have a successful defense it just it seems to to be important to that defense and it is something that they've been missing um obviously that they have filled it with with good stop gaps with lj fort with josh Bynes, um but it just looks to me now that queen probably is a will on a more limited snap count so you really want a mike a guy who's athletic who but who has the the processing ability to be able to play as a mike in the ravens defense and that's really difficult ask of a rookie. So it, you sometimes can't find it in the draft. I think Devin Lloyd could be that guy. Uh, so I, it would not surprise me if Devin Lloyd is the pick at 14. I, I think he is a starting Mike. I think he's a great fit with the Ravens. I, I think he's scheme diverse in a lot of ways. But I think I think it would permanently push Queen to the will. And I think it would work really well with, with him. Um, he is a high processing guy that they that they obviously love, but his physical tools give him a real ceiling. You know the the speed, the length. I, I really like him, and he's tough and versatile too. You can put him in coverage, and he's going to be okay. So, and obviously you can even move him around and rush him off the edge. I think he got eight sacks last year. So the guy, I think Lloyd is special, and I think there's a real chance that he could be the pick. I'm a little bit, so I'm a, probably a little bit controversial on Dean. I don't know whether I'm controversial. I think he's a will. If you're going to put him in a 3-4, I think he's a will. And then I think you've got a problem because I think then you've got Dean and Dean and Queen. And I, I think you've got two two pegs in the same hole. And I, I, I don't know what you do with them. So I, I think you back yourself into a corner. If I was going to take someone that wasn't Lloyd, um, I, I would take Quay Walker who's his teammate at Georgia, who I think is a Mike. Um, and I think he's one of the other players in this draft who could play that position. Um, like, I think there's a more to much more to do with Quay Walker um, than you have with, with Lloyd. 
but Walker has the same size, the same length. He's got the same athletic ability. I think he's got the same processing ability as well. Um, I think he's got a few deficiencies in zone coverage that I, I, I want to see. Sometimes he lets guys get in behind him in his zone. So there's a few things that I kind of want to see him maintain proper leverage in zone coverage. But for me, Quay Walker is actually the guy that I would pick as the second guy that would go to the Ravens. Let me be clear. It's not because I don't think Dean fits with the Ravens. I think when you watch his style of play, he's like, he fits, he fits really well. Um, but I just think he's a will. And then I think that gives you some problems in terms of who you play in the, in the linebacking core. Right now on uh, James's rankings here, Devin Lloyd, 13, Quay Walker, 22, Nicobe Dean, 29, in terms of the overall ranking uh, that you have on your board here. And again, at NFL Ogden on Twitter, you can find the whole list there. I'm sure it's pinned there. James Ogden, Ravens draft guide. I'm sure it'll be the first thing that pops up on Google as well. We'll link to it in uh, at Pod Like a Raven on Twitter. Uh, final question here, because we've kept you uh, just way too long, as I knew this was going to happen, because <laughs> okay. there's just a, mil- a million questions we have for you, because you're, you're so, so good at this and what you do. And, and frankly, uh, the work that you put into this really needs to be shared amongst the entire you know Ravens nation, as it were. Um, I, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a very broad question, simple question. Could be first round, second round, third round, fourth, whoever it is. Who is the one guy that the Ravens turn in the card at any particular position, and you're losing your mind over? Uh, if it's 14, if it's 45, what have you? Where I cannot believe this guy fell to them. This is a perfect fit, or you know, at 14, like they they got they got it right here. Who is that guy for you? Who's the guy you've loved the most during this process? Whether it's you know. Top of the board, middle of the board, bottom of the board, what have you. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get – so over the years when I've been doing this that hasn't been Ravens-focused, when I've just been evaluating players, you know, I put my red stars on guys that I like, that I would want on my team and that aren't necessarily great fits – that aren't necessarily great fits for the Ravens. This guy is very close to a five-star fit in my, in my guide, but he's not quite a five-star fit, and it's mainly because of his athleticism. So he is a little bit limited athletically. Um but I love Roger McCreary, who is a cornerback out of Auburn. And if if they, it would be the number forty-five pick. I would think that you you want to pick the the thing I like, the thing I like the most, and can sometimes get way over over high on is competitive toughness. I love guys that compete. And Roger McCreary, if you put that, you can go back to twenty nineteen and watch him compete so hard with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson against LSU. You can watch him in this past year, you know, really do a, do a job on Mechie and Williams at uh, Alabama. The kid ha- ha- is a bit limited athletically. He has possibly the shortest arms ever to be seen in a cornerback coming out in the draft. Um, the hands but, not even coming out of the out of the shoulder pads. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like you can, you just can't see him. His hands. The thing is, he's the thing that is amazing about that is that it doesn't matter. On film, I don't, I don't know how he has... When his arms were measured that long at the senior bowl, I was... My jaw hit the floor because the guy has the most ridiculous ball skills. So he overcomes that length with what must be... Because I already thought it was good, but now that I've seen the length of his arms, what must be outstanding timing and placement when he at the catch point, the, he gets the ball out so often. Like, it, I think he had about 12 pass breakups. That, no, 15. 15 pass breakups this year I think it was crazy because he gets targeted a lot but he just competes he's always in phase in short areas he might be a, a, a slot a slot corner at the next level maybe that's what he is but even if he is that he's going to compete 
um, and you're going to be very happy that he's a Raven, and I, I'm going to be very happy that he's a Raven. But I, it, it might not happen because of the athleticism. I, I would pump the brakes on that, but I, I love McCreary. He's great. All right, Roger McCreary out of Auburn can knock the ball down. We don't know where his arms are. We don't know how it's happening. But we'll see if the Ravens grab him uh, at 45. James, thank you very, very much for, for coming on here uh, and offering all, all your wisdom and insight. And to the listener, please go check out uh, his Ravens Ravens draft guide. James, thanks thanks very much. No problem, guys. It was a pleasure. All right. And now up is the random Raven, and it is Tim's turn this week. So, Tim, who do you have for us? Another guy that I'm still – my mind is just – boggled with all that draft information we just got i'm so excited to even just dive deeper into that draft guide uh that james put together this is another one that randomly popped up on my twitter feed like kyle arrington a few weeks ago and i went oh yeah did that that guy was a raven at one point right and he was uh i i think you guys will get this um and you'll see why at the end but yeah let's just get into this clue number one this player spent nine years in the nfl but only one season in baltimore antonio clue number two this two-time All-SEC player, one-time All-American, and national champion was drafted in the first round of the 2005 NFL Draft by an S- NFC East team. He spent the first eight seasons of his career with that team. So only two teams in his career. Eight seasons in the NFC East, one season in Baltimore. This player never really reached the heights of his college career in the NFL. During his senior year at LSU, he recorded nine sacks, which ranks fourth in LSU history for a single season. Across his entire NFL career, he totaled 10 sacks. So just one more than his one season at LSU. Uh, Clue number four, in 2013, this player played in five games for the Ravens, primarily as a backup on the defensive line behind the likes of Haloti Nada and two former random Ravens, Chris Canty and Arthur Jones. He wore the same number as Make Kimoyatu, definitely going to be a random Raven at some point, Brent Urban, and Adelius Thomas, among others. And clue number five, which is why you guys might get this. This player, nicknamed Swagoo, didn't know that, is now an NFL analyst for ESPN. I have it. <laughs> I, I, I started to piece it together actually earlier, I think, but yeah. I forgot this guy did play for the Ravens. I it took me a second. I was like, "Wait a minute!" He definitely had a cup of coffee with the Ravens. Yeah, I'm gonna need and sure I'm gonna enough, need James man. to come back. I phone <laughs> a friend situation here because I'm uh yeah I still have to work this out a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see if I can by the end of the episode. Uh, let's turn now to Ravens news because that has also happened outside of the draft. The Ravens are also keeping some players that they already had on the roster. And the first name is Calais Campbell, officially re-signing for two years, $12.5 million. You know, good move by the Ravens. Bring in the veteran presence, or keep the veteran presence. Uh, not quite ready to retire uh, was Campbell. But my, my concern here, guys, two-year deal, ages 36 and 37 seasons for a defensive lineman in the NFL. I have my questions about his health Look, moving forward with his deal and his productivity uh, at those ages, um, but not too expensive of a deal, I suppose, to keep what is one of the best voices, literally and metaphorically, uh, in the NFL, <laughs> uh, keep him in Baltimore. 
Yeah, literally. I mean, just the, the best voice. We could get him on the podcast when he retires, and he could just do VO for us. It would be amazing. Uh, I mean, I love the deal. I think Calais was still playing at a very, very high level, even for his age. I think it's not – I'm sure there might be a way to get out of it after one year or two. Uh, I'd have to look into the further details of that, and sometimes that stuff is hidden until it actually happens. But Calais Campbell was one of the best players for the Ravens last year at age 35, like un, un, unquestionably. Uh, still a dominant force on the defensive line, and a guy that – I think the Ravens still realize that they, they're going to need some defensive line depth, of course. Um, and he is going to be former NFL man of the year, or Walter Payton man of the year, excuse me, uh, just one of the good guys in the National Football League. A perfect mentor for Jordan Davis when he gets drafted at 14. Oh, be still in my heart. Uh... James made me so excited, <laughs> by the way. We have, we didn't really because we had so much so many things to ask him. That glowing review, if I wasn't already all the way in, I am so much more in on Jordan Davis going at 14 to the Ravens. Please, please let it happen. There, there's so many players I want. Devin Lloyd, oh my God, could go on and on. But uh, um, yeah, I love this deal. You know, for a guy, so he's obviously, he's not the pass rush uh, presence. We maybe even thought he might be when he came over from Jacksonville. I think that side of his games definitely declined and, He's dealt with seemingly a string of injuries, which is tough. But he still appeared in 15 games last year, which is kind of almost hard to believe given how, you know, constantly injured he seems. So he really fought through injuries last year. And I, 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 I'm I, with Tim. I think he's he's still such a good uh, piece for the Ravens defensive line. I think he's probably, uh, yeah, as Tim said, he was the best defensive player, certainly, I think, on the Ravens last year, start to finish. Um uh, pretty much the only guy who made it through the entire season. And, um, you know, I think he's a reason their run defense was number one in the NFL. He's still really good at that. And yeah, as Tim mentioned, he's uh, the Walter Payton man of the year. He's a great leader. He's uh, I, I think it's easy to kind of forget that the Ravens, even though, you know, it's a kind of an older defense in some ways on the other side of the ball, very few veteran voices. So I think just having as many vets in the room as you can get is still good valuable and i think he's he's proven he's one of the great leaders in the nfl guys seem to like him and stuff and uh yeah i'm glad he's still around i think he still brings a very valuable uh presence to the team on his field with his run defense and yeah just leadership in the locker room he's i mean the veteran voice right Uh, he's the oldest player on the team that isn't sam cook so i i think so um yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. I, I, and I think the price is fine. You know, you worry about the injuries cause he has been kind of feel like constantly, you know, they're like ankle problems in and out of games and stuff. So that, that's obviously a concern, but I, on the whole, I think he, he was worth bringing back and I'm glad they did. Clayus Campbell, 93 and a half sacks in his career. Uh, as Jace mentioned, the bulk of those came a, a couple to several years ago when he was sort of peak with the with the with the Jacksonville uh, and Arizona but hopefully he's able to I think he has mentioned before that 100 sacks was a goal for him a career yeah, he's, goal he's so said it multiple times we now, will, so it's uh, clearly something he wants we'll see if he'll hopefully he can reach that in the first season uh, of this two-year deal and then add two uh, in year two so we'll hope for good things from Campbell and then another uh, addition return the return of uh, I mean, I, I put this down. I feel bad about this. It's mean to say this, but, you know, whatever. It's a podcast. I call him the consolation prize, and it's re-signing Josh Bynes uh, after the whole Bobby Wagner fiasco. Um, but Josh Bynes, a good Raven, a productive Raven, 
does a lot of things, does some things well, a one-year deal for him, so good to see Bynes back in a Ravens uniform. I think for very similar reasons of sort of what Campbell brings, he clearly, every time he's left and come back, he seems to immediately stabilize whatever is uh, ailing the Ravens' defense. Um, and he did it in 2019, and then he came back, uh, I guess, in, uh, it was it 2020, 21, I guess, last season. He went somewhere, I think. He's been on and back three different times now. But uh, if I was a betting man, probably a future member of the Ravens coaching staff in some capacity, he seems like a guy they really like in-house. Um yeah, I mean, I'm for it. Uh, as we kind of talked about with James, I do think they obviously need a permanent solution at the middle linebacker spot. We hoped it was Patrick Queen. doesn't entirely seem like that's going to kind of work out with him at the mic. Uh, it's kind of been, they've been in the forest at the position since CJ Mosley got paid, you know, $40 million more than any linebacker ever had been by the Jets. So Thanks, Jets. Yeah, I don't fault him. I don't fault CJ for taking the bag, as the kids say, but it's it's been tough for the Ravens in the years since. And uh, yeah, Josh Bynes has done his best. You know, he has clear limitations as a player. He's in his, you know, early to mid-30s, I guess now. But um it, He's not a perfect player, but I, I think he's useful to have and certainly uh, seem, seems to at least straighten out the calls and that kind of thing uh, when he's in there and kind of stabilizes. So I'm cool with bringing him back, as you said. It's not it's a one-year deal, so it's not like they're shelling out big money for him. So I think it's a fine move. Yeah, I don't need to you know repeat what Jay said. It's, it's a good move for veteran presence like Calais. Not the same impact as Calais, but a guy that clearly they love in that locker room. Um, that they want to be there and to, to still regular the contributes. Uh, but the other important part here, I don't think, and I do not think it will stop them from drafting somebody, uh, you know, if it's that Devin Lloyd at 14, but it won't be because it'll be Jordan Davis or some other Mike linebacker, as James was talking about later in the draft, um, to kind of nurture that player into that role alongside Patrick Queen. Tim, the Ravens can just trade f- four of those five fourth round draft picks and just move right back into the first round again and get another get another guy there is a line from um krieger and archer that i would love to say right now but it is not family friendly so i'm gonna just pass on that something else that uh i suppose i've taken maybe too long to mention we're almost an hour in here but we record this on monday and ravens back at the castle today uh voluntary off-season workouts kicked off today uh, Tyus Bowser in the house. He's rehabbing because he's got he's to come back from the serious injury. Uh, Marcus Williams was there, new Ravens signee. It was nice to see him, uh, you know, showing up early, putting the work in. Marlon Humphrey was there saying his ridiculous things uh, as usual. Um, but I'll tell you who wasn't there, and that's Miles Boykin because we've found out somewhat recently from as, as we've been recording that Boykin uh, has been released and is no longer in the Ravens' plans or organization, uh, a wide receiver who couldn't quite get the production, get the plays, excelled in special teams, and now has been on the team too long to be held as a special teamer, I I suppose. So I I turn to you guys now. First of all, thoughts on uh, seeing some of these Ravens back in the building and the the buzz that that generates and, and... and the loss of Miles Boykin, the the uh, a farewell, if you will, to to Boykin. What's coffee gonna do for a guy like me? In the immortal words of Marlon Humphrey, yeah, it's always exciting to get the guys back. I am constantly worried after the events of last off season about injuries, so I've been trying my best to just be like, they're just 
It's very early. It's voluntary. Nothing serious is happening. They're, you know, just putting in the work. Uh, but yeah, it's always exciting. Uh, you know, with the draft a week away. As for Boykin getting cut, you know, I, I think there was a lot of speculation this move would happen. Uh, you know, sooner than it probably ended up uh, being uh, having happened. Um, I know. I believe Jeff Zarebek was, and I think Jamison Hensley too, were tweeting about the Ravens did try to trade him, but there was understandably not a ton of demand for a receiver who caught one ball last season um that's tough that's not not going to be a high demand for that so the move the move saves um you know 2.5 million i believe is the figure yes uh that uh jeff zarebeck had cited um 2.54 million of cap space so that's always important this time of year to have some flexibility and yeah it stinks it didn't work out there was always some flashes where miles boykin you were like oh the potential and it, it just never quite amounted to much you know he's a third round pick um so that's that's kind of high for a receiver he, he's still within the top 100 he was 93rd overall and he finishes his uh career with 33 catches 470 yards and seven touchdowns kind of a kind of a whiff of a draft pick in the end they loved him on special teams and obviously that'll be a sticking point but certainly um wide receiver depth kind of we'll get into more in a minute a lot kind of thinner than you think at the moment um it's a lot of with boykin now gone um but uh yeah i mean it's hard to justify keeping just uh, one guy around for special teams so it makes sense well you get a guy like who's gonna fill that that fourth receiver role you know at at time of recording either a James Prochet, you know, training camp hero last year, or a Tylen Wallace, who they were super high on in the draft. And a guy who's coming into his second year rather than his fourth, I believe it is, for, for Miles Boykin. You get younger at that position with guys that don't produce. I did want to do the quiz, though. Jace, Jace you know, spoiled it. He didn't know. But seven touchdowns. I don't remember se- – I remember some touchdowns. And I remember him contributing in, like, blowout games during that 14-2 and two year. But – I actually thought that was high. Yeah, re- reading probably... that, it did actually surprise me in real time. I was like, that actually does seem like more than I anticipated. <laughs> probably tells you all you need to know about Miles Boykin. Uh, I think I think just to stress it, the special teams thing, he did play a lot of gunner, it seemed like, on special teams, which, you know, the Ravens more than most care about special teams a lot, third phase of the game, uh, you know, not just two and a half or whatever it is. So they're going to have to find somebody to replace that. Maybe Tylen Wallace is that guy who replaces him, uh, you know, we drafted him last year to kind of take over for Boykin, and maybe you you hope that he uh, steps up a little bit more. I, I I think I don't know. It's still just draft speculation from last year. I liked Tylen Wallace when I saw when they picked him. He didn't get a ton of opportunities because there was a, so many people in front of him. Maybe this gives him more of a chance. And they're going to strengthen in the draft and maybe sign a you know a Sammy Watkins type uh, in free agency as well. Uh, it, just quickly in terms of the guys, excuse me, coming back. Uh, it was a nice surprise on Monday morning to see that because I didn't realize that they were coming back. I wasn't so in tune with the schedule. And then you get the tweet of Marlon Humphrey walking in, like just kind of bobbing his head around, having a good, great old time. And I was just like, ah, this is it, – it, 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 it gives me the same feeling as I'm going to have next week during the NFL <laughs> draft when they're showing football highlights of football guys doing football things with pads and helmets on. And it's just like, oh, God, I miss this so much. <laughs> like every pick, I'm just here for the – 90 seconds of Mel Kuyper screaming over whatever this guy does well just to watch some highlights just just to get a little a little fix of football 
uh, during the draft. So, yeah, it, it's a cool moment. It's good to see guys back in the building. And Antonio said, you know, not that it really means much, but kind of cool to see Marcus Williams there, like already in already in the building. You know, you love to see that. Putting the, getting that FaceTime in, checking hands, <laughs> kissing babies. Yep. Got to be a rock of this organization. All the fun uh, stuff. And then quickly, I, I want to include also the Ravens signing four exclusive rights free agents. The the most interesting, I would say, of the four, Tyler Huntley. Uh, signed Tristan Cologne, Christian Welch, and Nick Moore, the long snapper. So some guys returning, you know, shockingly returning to, to Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, if, if there was for some reason any doubt, yes, Tyler Huntley is still the backup quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Just to... Uh, and that's pretty much it for Ravens news. So I want to turn and do a little bit on the NFL. There's not that much to go over, but I have one sort of talking point that I brought up this week that I want to hear from my co-hosts on because it's kind of fun. It's kind of first takey. Uh, so why not at, at this point? We've gotten all that good, serious analysis from uh, from James. Time to like mess things up with a... Uh, with a diva conversation, and that's what we're going to be talking about. All right, all right, hold on. Before we do that, who's Skip? Who's Stephen A? <laughs> uh, whoever does a better Skip impression, they get to, they get oh, to boy. be or Stephen A impression. I guess that he's maybe the more interesting. The like character. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get in character. <laughs> Lafraud. 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 Uh, <laughs> we're talking. We're talking wide receivers. We're talking Davis. Um, in the last month, there were some major deals given to Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Christian Kirk, a lot of other receivers. It happened one after another, and the market kept getting reset by all these big deals. So a month later, or maybe even weeks later, there's now a second batch of quality receivers who now are all saying, kind of collect like little unionization here, collectively saying... They will not be joining their teams without new deals. Not without deals, but without new deals. And I'm talking about Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, all skipping team workouts. And they're all wide receivers from the class of 2019. They're all non-first-round draft picks from 2019. So they're all in the last year of their rookie deals. They're all in year four, where with the first rounder, you get that fifth year tacked on. They're entering year four. And they're mad. They're mad because they're not making as much money as all these other wide receivers that just got paid a few weeks before. And I go back and forth. I'm a player empowerment guy. I'm a big-time NFL owners don't need to be making more money. I'm very happy to see players be earning more and more of the pie. But it's also, for me, like a... You signed a four-year deal, you can play out the four years, and then you will get a gigantic deal after the fourth year. So I, I guess my question is, you know, it's, it's easy to debate that side of it, but further from that is, what is the solution here for this type of relationship from maybe an NFL perspective? Is there a contractual thing we can do with these players to make it automatic where deals get added based on certain production after a certain number of seasons is there something else are we just going to go to the nba one year deals for all these guys so they can keep re-signing the next year when the salary cap goes up what what is the solution to bringing peace between the teams and these wide receivers i don't know if there is one uh because i think it's just you're inherently at odds with each other because i'm completely with you on the one hand 
Yes, uh, it's with certainly within a player's right to try to you know extract what they're worth. We're in a capitalist system, all that stuff. At the same time, you sign a four-year contract. Generally, you know, you didn't play that fourth season. <laughs> You're under contract. That's what a contract's for. Uh, so you know, I see both sides of it, and it definitely. In these guys' case, I feel like I'm a little more sympathetic to the guys coming off the four-year deals. It's guys like like Xavier Howard. Um, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but he had got a mega extension for a corner, and he like already had got been like the highest-paid corner a few years ago, and was like mad about that deal, and then reworked it so he just like got ninety million new dollars in like two years added on. I'm like, how does this work? Like, you sign a contract and just like two years later, like. I don't like it. And then he gets a new contract. Like, I don't know. That doesn't seem entirely fair to the teams necessarily. But with these guys coming off their rookie deals, I mean, I guess the solution is um, just more money on the rookie deals, uh, Antonio. Because these guys are making so little that aren't first-round picks. I mean, you know, comparatively in the NFL sense. Uh, Obviously, they're making more than you and I and all. Pretty much everyone we know. But, um, like... Uh, I guess maybe, yeah, because these guys, they're, they're not first round picks. So like Lamar Jackson, for example, is making 22 some million dollars on that fifth year option when it rocketed up. Like, I think he made like $5 million last year. Uh, so a significant increase. And he was the 32nd overall pick and obviously a quarterback as well. Um, but for the, like a third round, fourth round receiver, like Terry McLaurin, I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head. It's probably, he might not be making a million, honestly. It's hard to say. It probably is, but um, it's certainly not what Devonta Adams is going to make next year. So I, and for that sense, I get like why there's frustration in that process. Um, but that being said, also the money will come. So <laughs> that's the other thing, I guess it's just like having a good working relationship, but that's also, I think hard because NFL teams are trying to get these guys to sign for as little dollars as possible at all times. So it, it's hard to know. I think the ultimate solution was probably just like to foster better relations so you don't get these kind of protracted standoffs is just to pay rookies more uh, because that's when, you know, uh, players are historically at their best on their rookie contracts. Um, So uh, certainly a lot of positions outside of quarterback. So yeah, um, I don't know if that helps, but I think it would at least go a long way to solving this problem, but it's definitely interesting. And it hurts my feelings uh, talking about, we were talking about this a little just pre show but it hurts my feelings that we are not having this contract conversation in some ways with our own hollywood brown who was drafted before every all the one of the guys we mentioned uh who are currently in some kind of contract standoff with their team i mean obviously they have the fifth year contract uh fifth year option to work with um and that's cool but uh it would be nice if Hollywood was worthy of one of these uh, or in the discussion for one of these record-breaking deals, but I don't see him sniffing that kind of money unless he just becomes a completely different wide receiver this year. So it's pros and cons <laughs> of where the Ravens stand. They don't have to break the bank on a receiver, but it would be nice if they did uh, for the first time in their history too. So It would be nice if they did if it, the guy deserved it. That's right. a whole different conversation. <laughs> uh, but – what, you know, what's really funny here is I pulled up the contracts according to spot track of AJ Brown and Debo Samuel. And this year base salary with signing bonus, what have you, they are both making uh, so base salary. They're both making $3.9 million. Oh, wow. okay. 
the base, uh, the signing bonus, excuse me, for Debo Samuel is $904,000. AJ Brown, 530, or, uh, $532,000. I'm not sure why his is significantly less. It might be where he was drafted. But Marquise, uh, Hollywood Brown, is only making $2 million base salary this year. But over the course of his contract, he has made more. He started out with a bigger base salary because he was a first-round pick, what have you. So, yeah, I look, I, it's a weird thing because I think – and I'm not, I'm not a huge follower of the NBA, but the thing that the NBA gets memified for a lot of the times, and, and rightly or wrongly, is the this league thing <laughs> where there's so much off-season drama. The off-season's more entertaining than the regular season, what have you, because guys – and I, I'm all for player empowerment and guys wanting to get their money when they can and these contract and these careers – are, end very early. They end maybe in your twenties. They end at at if you're, if you're not Tom Brady, they usually end in your mid thirties if you're lucky. And so I completely understand these guys wanting to get their money when they can to set up their families. Hundred percent agree with that. But at the same time, you have to look at it from an NFL owner's point of view and say, is it worth paying a receiver an exorbitant amount on the cap, meaning that I can't strengthen? Other places, offensive line, you knew I was going there first. Defensive line, you knew I was going there second. Secondary, uh, running back, what have you. Uh, there's, there's an argument to be had about how to build teams. I think a guy like Debo Samuel is incredibly v- valuable for what he does and what he brings to that 49ers offense. I think he is worth, you know, I think he's worth the money. I think a guy like A.J. Brown is worth the money. Is Terry McLaurin worth the money? I mean, he's a good wide receiver. Our, our Commanders fans, and I know we have some that listen to this this podcast. I mean, sorry, guys. It's not it, it, not Terry McLaurin's fault, but it's not like paying Terry McLaurin is going to help that team out any 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 way, shape, or form. They've got so many other problems to deal with. So I think there's a fine balance, and, and Antonio, Antonio said it so right before. The guys should get their money. We're all for the players getting their money rather than the owners who have enough money already they don't know what to do with the amount of money that they have but from a team building point of view there there comes a time and place where it's you know we'll pay you this but we can't necessarily pay you this and so i think it's i don't know i'm sitting on the fence here this is a bad first take take segment because jason and i both said i don't know how you fix it (laughs) rather than having an opinion but i just don't think there's any way you can incent- maybe maybe you put more performance bonuses in rookie contracts. I don't necessarily know how that works, but then do guys start going? Well, I don't want to be drafted to the and let's just you know make it local Ravens because they don't throw the ball that much. You know what I mean? Like could could we see more guys doing that, especially in the first round of? I don't think you're going to see guys holding out like like the Eli Manning type of thing, but maybe that becomes an issue. So it's so tough, but I do think if these. I think of these second, third round picks, these guys that don't have these options, these guys that have, frankly, crazy contracts uh, in terms of um, in terms of the value that you're getting for like a Debo Samuel. He has all all the power in the world to say, you know what, I'm going to sit out until you pay me. That being said, it could turn into Le'Veon Bell, and your career could be over at that point. So it, it's a risk reward on both ends. Measured, rational takes from my two co-hosts. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, wh- sorry. Why did that. I? Uh, why would I bother asking uh, asking them? No. Uh, the only thing I th- I can think of that has, I don't think, been said yet is that the NBA, for all that this league stuff, 
they have a lot of they do guaranteed deals. The MLB has guaranteed contracts. The NFL does not, uh, and that's how these teams are often able to get out of these deals years early. Um, can you guarantee these deals more? Is that a more beneficial thing for these players? while still relating these rules to the salary cap, you may have to change things around, but guaranteed money sounds good, and I think that may make it a little bit more palatable for players who are in, at that point, you know, three, four years in, outperforming their current salaries by, you know, five-fold in some instances based on what they could get if they were free agents. So it's not an easy topic, but it's fun nonetheless to see... Uh, just wide receivers fulfill their roles as always the biggest divas on NFL football teams. And yeah, it would be nice if we could have, it would be lovely if Hollywood Brown was more angry that he wasn't getting paid enough because of how <laughs> amazing his productivity and talent were. But for now, he's Maybe just happy with his, with his current deal. Rashad Bateman could be that guy. He switched his number to number seven. <laughs> he could uh, be that. He could be that uh, guy. Yeah. We need our diva. We need, <laughs> divas are good for the team. There's my hot take. Um, elsewhere in the NFL, a couple of highlights, and then I'm going to let my co-hosts pick their favorite uh, of these three to discuss. Sammy Watkins, officially not returning to Baltimore. He signed with the Green Bay Packers. Boy, Aaron Rodgers, per- just perfect. What a perfect small acquisition for him to get probably half annoyed about. Uh, and now the Packers don't have to draft any wide receivers in the first five rounds because they got their guy, so they're fine there. Derek Carr extended three more years for $121 million total. He's now signed with the Raiders through the 2025 season. And then the Colts sort of quietly signing Stephon Gilmore and, uh, I mean, let's call him a depth secondary player, Rodney McLeod. Um, this is becoming like a mercenary team, making another run with a random veteran QB and Matt Ryan, but they're adding some nice pieces around that talent that they've had for the last several years. Uh, is this the year? Can is, the, is this the mercenary year for them? Can they compete in the AFC? Uh, I think they better hope it is, or else they'll have Jim Ursay uh, recording himself outside of private jets in the middle of the night again, uh, like they did this past offseason. Um, as an outsider, not a Colts fan, obviously, uh, I I am intrigued by everything they do. I find Jim Ursay fascinating, <laughs> and I find uh, their offseason very interesting. It seems like if they don't succeed, there will be a new coach and possibly GM there uh, this season, I would guess. But uh, for me, the other big takeaway uh, is Lamar's going to get so much money. When Derek Carr, who I think is a fine quarterback, I think he's good, uh, I think he's one of the more hotly debated quarterbacks on Twitter over the years because he's he, he's basically just like West Coast Kirk Cousins kind of in some ways. I think he's probably better than Cousins. Certainly his ceiling's higher. But there'll, there'll be some, some Derek Carr moments throughout the years where you're just like, come on, man. Uh, but, you know... He, he's still the top half of the league, I, you'd probably say, certainly a top 20 starter. Uh, and it's hard to find someone who's a top 20 starter in the NFL. And that makes him uh, an interesting point. And, yeah, he's getting all this money. And Lamar, who I obviously think is a much higher ceiling player than Derek Carr, is going to just earn so much money in free agency. It's kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, we are... 
it took us this long to mention the Lamar Jackson contract. So that's that's good. Yeah, it might be but, a new record. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. There's a reason that he that he's waiting because these just go up and up and up and up and up. And as Antonio mentioned, like the NBA players signing the one year deal because they know the cap's going up, what have you. Good on Lamar. He's betting on himself because guess what? If he's injured again or COVID again or doesn't perform again, there, there's a massive debate to be had uh, in terms of the, in terms of the calm down, in terms of the value of the contract. The contract is still going to get signed. Everybody, do not worry about that. But either way, he's going to make his money because guys like this are making that their money. Um, uh, in terms of in terms of the Colts, I, I think Stefan Gilmore is a great signing for them. I think he's a very, very, very talented player. And yeah, this is Ursay. Be nice, Tim. This is Ursay going. You know, we're going to go all in and going balls to the wall, what have you. And you know, compete in the AFC. Maybe the AFC is loaded. They better compete in the AFC South. They're playing the Jaguars and the Texans four times this year uh, total. So it's just them and the Titans now. And now they have to keep up with the Titans and this Colts team. I think Matt Ryan is better than Carson Wentz. I think Stefan Gilmore with, with some of the guys, Moore, Kenny Moore, who is incredible for them in the secondary. Darius Leonard is obviously there. Um, oh, man. off uh, Defensive lineman. Oh, uh, DeForest is, Buckner. DeForest Buckner, thank you. Former 49er. It's, uh, just escaped me there. That's why Jays is here to save me. Uh, yeah, they better compete, and they better be in the playoffs because if they miss the playoffs again with this, Old Jimmy's going to go a little crazy, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen then. All right, that's uh, that's all I had in terms of NFL things to go over. There's only, there's 75 teams in the AFC looking to compete for a playoff <laughs> spot this year. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Uh, in my pre-prep uh, work, let's call it, I saw the standings of the AFC North and I sort of saw, like I took a breath and felt better about myself that with the Ravens having everything go wrong uh, in one season, seemingly, they lost two fewer games than AFC Super Bowl representative Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals. They went 10-7, and seven, Ravens went 8-9. and nine. We're fine. Things are fine and we will compete. I don't care how many good players there are in the AFC. <laughs> But with that, last thing to do is to go over the random Raven one more time. So, Tim, can you read us those clues, please? I can, real quickly. Speaking of AFC North, and we didn't talk about it, but we should mention, uh, the Browns just are just going to throw a bunch of guaranteed money at people, and that's hilarious. Uh, Denzel Ward, five-year deal, $100.5 million contract with 71.25 guaranteed. Denzel Ward, good player. Deshaun Watson, you know, who the, who knows what's going on there. But it's the Browns, so it's going to blow up in their face. Had to get a Browns joke in. Final clues here for the random Raven. Clue number one, this player spent nine years in the National Football League, but only one season in Baltimore. This two-time All-SEC player, one-time All-American, and national champion was drafted in the first round of the 2005 NFL Draft by an NFC East team. He spent the first eight seasons of his career with that team. Uh Clue number three, this player never really reached the heights of his college career in the NFL. In his senior season at LSU, he recorded nine sacks, which is fourth all-time in LSU history for a single season. But across his entire NFL career, he totaled just 10. Clue number four, in 2013, this player played in five games for the Ravens, primarily as a backup on the defensive line, behind the likes of Haloti Nada and two former random Ravens, Chris Canty and Arthur Jones. He wore the same number as Make Kimoyatsu, one of my favorite names to say, Brent Urban and Adelius Thomas, among others. And clue number five, this player, nicknamed Swagoo, 
is now an NFL analyst for ESPN. Now, Jace, I know knows it, so I, I like to go to the person who might not know it first, and that would be Antonio. Antonio, racking your brain, did you find it? I have a name, but I don't think it's right. So if I can guess, okay. it might be better for me to go first. I will I will hold my response, you guess, and then we'll let Jace guess. This can't be it, though. Is it? I don't want to embarrass myself either on, on national podcasts. Uh, is it Marcus Spears? So that's the name I had too. I'm pretty sure that's his nickname and with the meme, with the glasses. <laughs> played... It is Marcus Ooh! Spears. Played... Correct, Antonio. Played for nice the Cowboys? Wow. The Cowboys was the only other team and then he played with the Ravens for a bit and that was Wow. It. I feel I feel pretty good about that one. I'm going to be honest. I, I pulled that one cool. right in the fourth quarter. Two minute, two minute drill. Marcus Spears. The uh, analyst was the part that ended up helping me more than <laughs> anything else. I figured that would be it. Like it, that's why I was said is by the time he's still kind of in our lives, essentially by watching NFL Live, he's still around. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still all there. over ESPN these days. He, he's one of those guys that they seem like doesn't leave you know, uh, the studio. It's like Stephen A. Smith for NFL takes, Marcus <laughs> Spears for basketball takes. Yeah, I'm sure that's what I want to hear. Well, that was a, a fantastic random Raven, Tim, and a fantastic episode. Uh, I want to thank my co-hosts, and I specifically want to thank James Ogden for coming on and giving us so much great draft insight. Uh, we have a lot of the stuff that he said written down. Uh, we're going to hold him to task on, on certain names and then see what happens uh, when the draft comes in a few weeks, and uh, we'll see what, what the Ravens end up doing. We're going to be back next week. We've uh, we've been doing these every two weeks, but the NFL draft coming up, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. So we will be back published on Tuesday. Two days before the draft to do our first round mock. It's one of the one of our favorite things every year. Uh, we tend to get the first like four picks right, and then it devolves after that. This is going to be harder than several of the other mocks that we've done. We may be wrong with pick one, which would be uh, <laughs> fun <laughs> if anything else. So we're going to do that uh, again next week. Mock draft. We're going to force ourselves to keep the Ravens at fourteen. We're not going to be tempted to do any trades, have them move up or down, and, and take players that we want. Uh, and that will be next week. So we're very excited for that. For Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks so much for listening to us, as always, here on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you with a mock draft next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.